All right. So we're going to be studying today Masechet Sanhedrin, Daf Gimel, Amud Aleph, on the bottom of the page. I believe you should all be able to see the. Um, yeah. The, yeah. No, wrong one. No, that's not what I wanted to show you. My apologies. Stop. Stop share. Let me get you the sugya. Share screen. We ah, here it is. Okay. I believe you all have the sugya now. Nezek, Bahasi Nezek. Yes? Good. Okay. This is a short sugya. It's a three-part sugya. Um, the purpose of, let me just shut my WhatsApp. Otherwise, I'm going to get interrupted quite a lot. Um, okay. Um, the purpose of this sugya is to examine certain redundancies in the formulation of the Mishnah. Um, and, you know, we studied last week um, the section in the Golden Doves, which dealt with what Rabbeinu HaKadosh's strategy was in formulating the Mishnah. So we did that. So I think that serves as a very um, good introduction to this video that we're going to be studying today. So um, can you just all confirm for me that you still see the Gemara? Yeah, we can see. Okay, because it was I just moved some things around on my screen, so that's good. So, one moment, please. I'm in the wrong place. I apologize. I'm just um, darn no, this is the wrong thing. Give me another minute, and I believe no, this is where I want to be. Yes, good. Okay. All right, let us begin. So there are three parts to the sugya. They are very short parts. Each part deals with a different redundancy um, in the Mishnah, in the formulation of the Mishnah. We are now going to start with redundancy number one. Um, nezek, I know, um, Nezek Vahasi Nezek. Okay, so the Mishnah says, um, going back to the Mishnah, it says, Dine Mamonot Bishlosha, Gezelot Vahavalot Bishlosha. Nezek v'hasi nezek. That's the problem that we're dealing with now. Uh, we stated that gezelot, in the case of um, robberies, uh, gezelot means a face-to-face confrontational type of robbery. That's gezelot. Um, havalot. Havalot refers to um, lawsuits arising from tortious injuries. So there can be different types of havalot. There could be um, injuries arising because perhaps my animal injured someone or someone's property, or perhaps my property injured someone or someone's property. So havalot is tortious injuries. And as I said, there are different types of injuries. Bishlosha, um, so those need to be adjudicated in a bet din of shelosha um, dayanim. And then the continuation of the Mishnah, nezek v'chasi nezek. Cases involving nezek, nezek means um, whole damages, right? Meaning where the damage award is 100% of the damages. And then you have cases where hasi nezek, no, where the plaintiff is not requesting 100% of the damages, he's requesting 50% of the damages. So that's nezek v'hasi nezek. That was the Mishnah. Now the Gemara starts as follows, nezek. I know Havalot, 
Uh, well, um, in fact, um, well, Nezek and Havalot are identical. What does it mean Nezek and Havalot are identical? Allow me to explain this in a precise fashion. Okay, um, when a person goes to court, there is a particular cause of action, meaning there is a legal theory. And based upon that legal theory, there is a cause of action. And he seeks to receive from the court an award of damages, okay? So you have a cause of action, which is based on a legal theory. And then you have, therefore, your honor, this is what I want to get from the court. This is what I'm asking for. So those, there's damages, what I'm asking the court to give me. And there's the cause of action, which is the legal theory, um, which is going to be the predicate for the um, request for damages. So here's the important thing, and I think this is the key to understanding this question. When it says nezek haino havalot, what it means precisely is as follows. The word nezek is a legal term referring to a type of damage award. I am requesting from the court full damages for the damages that I suffer, right? But here's the thing. When you talk about nezek in Jewish law, the predicate for nezek is always going to be tortious, tortious injuries, right? So there's going to be some sort of tort violation, and that tort violation will be the predicate for the nezek. Meaning, when you have a situation where you're saying, your honor, I deserve nezek, I was damaged $100, my losses are $100, and I want the full amount of the losses, that's called nezek. The predicate for that request is always going to be a tort, and the following tort was committed. So when you say havalot, when you say havalot, actually, any case of havalot will include nezek, and any case of nezek will include havalot. There are two sides of the same coin, right? Just one is looking at the cause of action, the other is looking at the damage award. So the Gemara continues as follows. Mishum teka ba'el mitna hasi nezek taneneme nezek shalem. That's the answer to the Gemara. And that's, and that's the end of the, um, that's the end of the first part. And the answer is as follows. Mishum teka ba'el mitna hasi nezek the Mishnah wanted to, right? And as part of giving the full list of situations where you would have three judges, it was necessary to specify Hasin Ezek. Hasin Ezek is a different type of damage award. Hasin Ezek is a damage award where you're looking not for full damages, but you're looking for half damages. And we're going to explain a little more about what that what the half damages are about. But for now, just understand that you're not asking the judge for 100% of the damages, you're asking the judge for what's called hasinezek, 50% of the damages. So because it was necessary to specify in the list of the Mishnah um, things that require three judges, and we need to specify hasinezek, therefore, we needed to mention Nezek Shalem Tanename, the Mishnah or the author of the Mishnah also specified Nezek Shalem. So let's just summarize where we're at right now. 
So where we're at is, um, we didn't need to mention the word nezek. That's correct. We didn't need to mention it. We already said havalot. So you don't, you don't have to say havalot and nezek, right? But we didn't need to mention the word hasinezek, um, and or the case of hasinezek, I'm sorry. And because we needed to mention the case of hasinezek, therefore we mentioned nezek shalem. Um, I'm going to ask you by a show of hands, does that make sense to anybody? I mean, don't be embarrassed. Does it make sense? I mean, because I needed to mention, you know, I'm, I'm saying, for example, um, I'm saying, for example, um, you know, having, I have a list of animals that roar or that make scary sounds. I'm going to bring in the list lions and tigers and, and dogs. And I'm saying, because I mentioned dogs, I also had to mention cats, although cats, they don't roar. But I just mentioned dogs, and because I mentioned dogs, I have to mention cats. Does that make sense to anybody? Right? It really it's it's a bit it's it it's a bit confusing, right? I mean, we 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 need to understand that. Right? The Gemara is, is 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 of course, needless to say, written by highly intelligent, uh, you know, perhaps the most intelligent human beings. So so what does that mean? How does that make sense? How can you read this Gemara and take that seriously? Okay. Sorry, someone raised their hand. Um, oh, oh, please. Um, I'm sorry. I, I didn't see that. I'm focused on my book. If somebody wants to say something, by all means. Well, I, I, only in so much as I think it makes sense if you take it from a literary, literal, literary perspective in that these two expressions are often mentioned side by side. So in order to memorize the text for the Tanner, once you mention, it helps him if you mention them both because that's how he's familiar with expecting to hear it or to say it. So from a memorization point of view, it makes sense to me. But we have the information already, as the Gomorrah effectively says. That's excellent. And I, I think what you're saying is a reflection of what we read last week in, uh, in the Golden Doves. And that's exactly why we read the Golden Doves last week, so that it makes sense. And I'm happy that you... Uh, you basically uh, took that and uh, took what we studied last week and applied it to the understanding of the sugya. That's 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 so important. Yeah, from a perspective of, and 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 here's the thing. So in the Mishnah, you have set linguistic formulations, and oftentimes you bring the entire linguistic formulation, even though, well, you know, animals that make scary roaring sounds, um, dogs and cats. Well, you know, cats don't make scary roaring sounds. But people used to study the text of Alpes. So Nezek is a redundancy. Now it's it's not it's not exactly a correct um, analogy because in the case of cats and dogs, cats is actually it's it's incorrect to say that a cat makes a roaring sound. It's not incorrect to say that Nezek requires three Dayanim. It's just redundant. But because we have a set linguistic formulation, namely we usually say Nezek, Bahasi Nezek, we're gonna bring it together for purposes of ease of studying it exactly correct. So there is no Greek logic to this, but rather there is a certain linguistic rationale to this. Um, so good, I'm happy that you, uh, you contributed um, with that comment. And that takes us now to linguistic, uh, to redundancy problem number two. Redundancy problem number two, we're gonna be reading it now. Um, okay. Hasinezek name, Haino Havalot, 
So the problem is that we didn't really answer the question because Hassin, as, as I said, is it a request from the judge to give you a particular damage award? When would you ask the judge for the damage award of 50% damages, as it's called, Hasin Ezek? And the answer is in the case of Havalot, when the underlying legal theory or the cause of action is Havalot, um, a tortious injury, that's exactly when you would be asking for Hasin Ezek. So now the question becomes well, why do we have to mention Hasin Ezek? It's not necessary. We said already Havalot. Havalot would encompass uh, Hasin Ezek. All right. Answer, Tana Mamona, Bekatane Kenasa. So the Mishnah strategy in organizing um, these cases, it goes uh, from the more general to the more specific. Tana Mamona. It starts out with those cases where the damage awards sought is for direct damages, mamona, and direct damages, when I say direct damages, I mean to say 100% damages, right? And that would be, for example, habalot. Um, so uh, there was a person set a fire, caused injury, uh, damage to, to somebody's property. So, there's, uh, so you would ask for uh, full damages, habalot. And <clears throat> I'm sorry, I'm a little hoarse. Um, so these are direct damages cases, and the and then after it brings a case of direct damages, it brings a case of hasinezek. Hasinezek is a request for damages where it's a penalty type of damage award. Let me explain what that means. And also, you know, you have this in common law when you know when you're going to come before the court and you have a pleading and you state whatever the facts are and then you build your your legal theory and then at the end you have you know I'm asking for direct damages I'm asking uh, for the court to penalize you know penalty damages punitive damages they call it in uh, I believe in, in in English law it's called punitive damages so the idea of hasinezek is a type of punitive damage it's not looking specifically at how much the plaintiff was damaged uh, and saying, well, you know, he, he lost, he was suffered this and this damage, and we now want to bring him back to a state of completion. We want to make him whole again. So if he lost $100, we're going to give him $100. Chasinezek is a way to penalize the defendant for his improper behavior, right? So the way the Mishnah organizes the information, it starts out with Nezek, cases of um, complete damages or damages rather damage requests for the complete amount which is or I would call it direct damages and then it goes to the punitive or penalty damages so Tane I'm sorry Tana Mamona Bekatane Kenasa so let's just summarize uh, where we're at now what do I care what do I need the Mishnah, before we summarize, why do I need the Mishnah to mention um, Chassin Ezek? I mean, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a type of damage award. It comes from Havalot. I mention Havalot. The Gemara acknowledges that Chassin Ezek is part of Havalot. It's a flip side of Havalot. So what do I care whether the flip side of Havalot is 
Nezakah, and we said, oh, no, no, we don't have to mention that. That's redundant. We all agree. Or Hasin Nezakah, we say, no, no, we have to mention that. Well, why do we have to mention that? It's also the flip side of Havalot. Is, is my question clear? Yeah? So, so what do you think? What, why would I have to mention Hasin Nezakah? For the same reason that I'm not mentioning Nezik Shalem, I shouldn't have to mention Hasin Nezik, right? It's important to understand the Gemara. And I'm going to read to you um, a passage in the Geonim that <clears throat> sheds light on this matter. So give me a moment while I just carefully move these books, which are old and need to be moved with care. Okay, pay attention. So this is a short passage in the Geonim, and I'm not going to share it with you because it's just two lines that we're going to be reading. There was a following rule that the Chachamim has established, and it is as follows. Penalty damages may not be awarded in courts in Babylonia, Babylonia and any other place in the world for that matter, right? Um, the only place where you can um, award, where a court is authorized to award penalty damages is Birushalayim in Jerusalem. And it has to be a court of 23 people, right? 23 Semuchim. So now you understand the point. There is, there is a rabbinic um, a proclivity towards, and not just proclivity, but there was a law that says that the standard for adjudicating cases of penalty damages is higher than the standard for adjudicating regular damages. Accordingly, one would um, uh, be forgiven for um, concluding from the Mishnah that while Nezek is subject to adjudication um, with three judges, Hasin Nezek, which is penalty damages and therefore requires a higher standard of adjudication or, or, or a more austere um, a court of Dayanim, would not be subject to adjudication with, um, um, with three Dayanim. So that's why it's essential to mention Hasinezek, right? Hasinezek is not just a foregone conclusion. Well, it's a flip side of Havalot, and therefore, of course, it would be Dinem Amanot Pishlosha. No, that's incorrect. That, of course, is not there. Hasinezek is a very specific type of adjudication, and indeed, um, you need Dayanim that are Semuchim at the very least. Um, and uh, as you saw, there was an opinion that actually required 23 Dayanim. Uh, nevertheless, now you understand the purpose of mentioning Hasin Ezek. So, so just to summarize, um, we have Havalot in the Mishnah, we have Gezelot, we have Havalot. We mentioned Nezek, although we didn't have to mention Nezek because we already mentioned Havalot, and Nezek is just the flip side of Havalot. We mentioned Hasin Ezek because, although it is indeed the flip side of um, uh, Havalot, um, it is a higher standard of adjudication, and therefore one would um, need to see the words Hasin Nezek in the Mishnah to conclude that Hasin Nezek is actually subject to a court or can be uh, uh, adjudicated in a court of three Dayanim.
All right, let us continue. I'm just gonna see. Um, right, what I read to you in the Geonim is not the halacha, right? But it is a, um, it is a rabbinic tradition which establishes the following principle, and the following principle is the halacha, that not all courts can deal with dinek kenasot. In fact, with your permission, I want to read to you what Harambam says on this Mishnah in the Perusha Mishnah, because it would serve to shed light on the matter and on that question. So just give me one moment, please, while I get the uh, Perusha Mishnah up. Okay, I am back. And I'm going to read to you now the language of Arambam in the Perusha Mishnayot on the first Mishnah that we are looking at. First Mishnah in Masachit Sanhedrin. Yeah. One second. All right. So he says, Hanambam uh, writes, Kol dinema monot, monetary disputes, you can have three non mumchim, three judges who are not asimuchim. But then when you get to gezelot um, havalot, it has to be judges that are mumchim, and danim bahem, ela shelosha mumchim. And uh, that the semicha can only take place in Eres Israel by a court that's located in the land of Israel. Um, now, Hanambam doesn't bring the special law that the Onim brought with respect to Hasinezek. Why doesn't he bring it? Namely, that it has to be 23 in, the, in, in Yerushalayim, because that's not the halakha. Part of, part of the reason that that's not the halakha is because the Mishnah brought the law of Hasin Nezek in, um, um, as part of the um, three judges uh, category. But, but as you saw, there was that rabbinic tradition that would require 23 judges, judges. And I'm just trying to explain to you why it would be that the Mishnah needs to bring Hasinezek and doesn't need to bring Nezek. It needs to bring Hasinezek because there was a higher standard of adjudication and comes the Mishnah and says, no, you don't need 23 judges, three judges is enough. So that's the end of uh, part two. Let's now go to part three. This is the third redundancy in the Mishnah and it's as follows. Okay, so the answer we gave previously as to why we have to mention Hasinezek is because Hasinezek is a type of punitive damage. So the conclusion that Hasinezek is a type of 
punitive damage is itself a subject of dispute, right? So there's a machloket on the matter. Um, I know you don't have Rashi, I'm just going to read to you Rashi, because he brings the source in the Gemara um, where this is. Right. There was a dispute regarding what is the nature when you ask a judge for 50% damages, is that a punitive damage request or is it a direct damage request, right? There's a Okay, so whatever the reasoning for why one side says it's a punitive damage award, the other side says, no, it's not a punitive damage award, it's a regular damage award, why do I care? Okay, um, uh, why should it matter? Why should it matter whether Palgani's guys can asa or Palgani's guys mamona? How, does, how, does, how is that somehow um, important? You understand my question? Again, I'm reading, the, I'm reading this portion in the Gemara again. I'm reading the question again. Um, the previous answer, which said that we needed to state Hasinezek separately, right? This works well and is in accordance with the opinion or is predicated upon the opinion that says that Hasinezek is a punitive damage award. Um, if you say that punitive, I'm sorry, that the 50% damages is not a punitive damage, but is a direct damage award, why would we need to say Hasinezek in the Mishnah? Well, why would we? And, it, and, and it's a good point because the idea that Hasinezek somehow is a higher standard of adjudication or is a special type of adjudication itself is based on the notion that it's a punitive damage award, right? If it's a, if it's a direct damage award, then you don't, there is no reason to differentiate it from Nezek, right? If Nezek and Hasin Nezek are both direct damage awards, just that in one case, you're giving him 100% of the damages, in the other case, you're giving him 50% of the damages, there would be no basis to distinguish between the two legally. The reason that there was a distinction the reason that we distinguish Hasinezik from Nezik Shalom is because wait, wait, it's not in the quantity, it's in the nature of the award. The legal theory of Kanas is different than the legal theory of um, uh, than the legal theory of direct damages. Um, there's, ne- there's many enough coming out, but I do want to read to you Alambam, and I'm now gonna unshare the screen and reshare it to show you why the legal theory of the two types of damages, nezek, direct damages, versus hasin, nezek, punitive damages is different. So I'm unsharing the screen and I'm gonna reshare a different screen now. Okay. This is Harambam, Mishneh Tolai Elchot Nizkemamon. Kol nefesh hagya shehi bershuto shel adam shehi zika habe'alim hayavim leshalem. Doesn't matter what animal you have, um, um, dog, cat, uh, you know, at the time I mentioned shawl, it doesn't have to be a shawl, right? If you own the animal, you're responsible for the animal, or rather you're responsible for the damages uh, caused by the animal. Right? The Torah brings the case of one ox causing damage to another ox. But Halambam points out, it can be an ox, 
Ma'of, it can be any type of behemoth, domesticated animal, haya, non-domesticated animal. Ma'of, uh, you have a bird that causes damage to somebody. Lo de ber It was common for people to have uh, oxes, oxen, and because it was common to have oxen, um, that's that was the uh, what the Torah described, but it was just a description. It wasn't a prescription, meaning it didn't need to be specifically an ox or any animal. Uh, and now here's the point. If the animal caused damage that it would commonly cause, meaning the damage that a person, the uven, let's say the uven is the defendant, the uven's ox, damage Shimon in a way that was foreseeable. For example, his ox went and ate some uh, hay or some straw, or or the animal was walking, and as it was walking, it caused damage um, to what it was walking on. Uh, In that case, you have to pay full damages. And the assets of the defendant, uh, we said Reuven was the defendant, right? So the assets of Reuven would have an automatic lien on them and would be encumbered towards the damage award um, given by the court, including the best uh, of his assets. So that's because this is direct damages. So in, the, in this case of direct damages or nezek shalem, there is that lien on the assets of the defendant. When it says means even from the best of his field, you would sell even the best of his real assets or even the best of his chattel for purposes of paying the, the, uh, the plaintiff for the damages that the plaintiff suffered. That's the legal treatment of direct damages in contrast. But if the animal acted in an erratic fashion, uh, in a fashion that was not foreseeable, and it caused damage as, as a result of this erratic behavior, an ox that became very angry and it gored, on a shach or bit, in that case, the, the penalty, which is Hasinezek, 50% of the damages is because the um, owner, the defendant, uh, could not foresee that his ox would act in this erratic fashion. But it's a penalty. It's not like the previous um, damage award. So for example, in this case, there is a lien on the value of the ox that caused the damage. And then you would get the damages from the ox that caused the damages, right? You would sell it, right? Uh, and, 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 and pay that way. So that's, that, that's, that's very important. So now I'm going to go back to the sugya. Give me a moment. I'm going to stop. Screen. So you see that the issue of nezek versus pasinezek versus is a very fundamental issue. But as noted, there was the opinion in the um, 
where's the, uh, so here it is. There was the opinion, one moment. There was the opinion in Perek Arba'ah, Avot Nezikim, which uh, said, no, no, this is um, Hasi Nezik is, is actually a t- is, is another type of a Nezik Shalem. Uh, and here is a Gemara now, share. Okay, good. So that's, um, so that's the uh, basis for this question. So I'm going to read it again, right? So, if, if, you, if you are of the opinion um, that, and, and that the halakha indeed is that, I'm sorry, um, I'm sorry, I, I, I skipped a line. I'm reading it again. So this fits well with the uh, theory that Palgani's guys kenasa, it's a penalty, and therefore we need to mention it in the Mishnah because it would not be a foregone conclusion that this penalty is subject to three Dayanim, right? But if you say that it's not a penalty, and therefore it's just, it has the same legal treatment as the Nezek Shalem, Michael MMA, why do I need to say Hasi Nezek in the Mishnah? It would make no sense. Now, let me ask you a question before we get to the answer, because this is important. Why do I care? So, 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 so I, I think the answer to that question should be, well, the Mishnah is in accordance with the opinion of he who says that Palganiska is uh, Kenasa. I mean, I think that's obvious the answer, isn't it? What, what do I, why do I care that there's a minority opinion? And it's a strong minority opinion, albeit, uh, but what, why is it so important? I mean, Okay, so no, we don't follow the minority opinion on a bit of colors. Didn't follow the minority opinion. It would be a very strong question on the other opinion if there's a klimishna, which is palganizka knasa. Right, right, and and maybe and maybe they should have brought this mishna as a um, as in that sugya against right, um, but they didn't. Rather, they reform, and, and by the way, your point is well taken. I mean, I, I think it's an excellent point, actually. I'm not uh, discounting it. I think it's, it's certainly a valid point. That may have been the case. But rather than do that, they reformulate the Mishnah and some of well, not reformulate. That's not the right word. They, um, they reinterpret the Mishnah to accommodate, uh, to accommodate that opinion. So as it's going to turn out, there's going to be two parallel interpretations of the Mishnah. That's really what's happening. Why? Why not just say what you said, Avi? Namely, yeah, well, um, uh, this Mishnah is clearly, uh, you know, in favor of Palga Niska Kenasa, and those who hold Palga Niska Mamona find a problem in this Mishnah, but we don't say that. And it's important because um, one of the great accomplishments, and this was a tremendous accomplishment of Rabbeinu HaKadosh, um, in formulating the Mishnah, Gaon discusses this. Um, his, his goal was not to make Pesach Halacha. Um, let, me, let me explain what I mean by that. We can make Pesach Halacha. We can, you know, we can sit down and discuss different legal issues and, and decide this is Hayab, this is Mutal, this is Patur, this is Asu. You know. That wasn't the goal of the Mishnah. The, the primary objective, not the only objective, but the primary objective of the Mishnah was to create a formulation of the Torah Shabbat that is universally accepted by all the Hachamim. Now, 
In order to create the formulation of Torah Shabbat that is universally accepted by all the hachamim, you have to be a bit sensitive to, you know, situations where there may be machlokot. Now, one way to solve that problem is to say, meaning you, you, you can accommodate the Mishnah and have the, the Mishnah be sort of a house that includes the different, um, you know, opinions, and that's fine. But to have a setam Mishnah that ignores a machloket would be a boo-boo. It could happen. And by the way, there are some cases when they say, no, this Mishnah goes according to that opinion. It happens. That's not the favorite approach. And the reason it's not the favored approach, that's, that's a better word. It's not the favorite approach because the goal was to make the Mishnah accepted by all the Chachamim, right? Because the Mishnah now replaces, in a sense, all of the other formulations of the Torah Shabbat Peh. And it's, it almost acts like as the betin of the Jewish people, not, not, not in the sense that it can adjudicate cases, but in the sense that now this becomes the authoritative law of the Jewish people. Now, after Rabbeinu HaKadosh formulated the Mishnah, they had a Mahadur Batra. They reformulated or they edited certain portions. But here's the point, and Hanabam discusses this. What made the Mishnah a success was that later on, when the Hachanim looked at the Mishnah, it was universally accepted. And to accomplish that, to have all the hachamim of Am Yisrael you know, unify around the Mishnah was a tremendous accomplishment because there were many disputes and there were many machlokot. So oftentimes you would have a case where a Mishnah is clear. I think this Mishnah is pretty clear. It's, you know, Padgani's guys can asa. That's when we mention it. Nothing wrong with that. And that happens to be the halakha. But we want to accommodate within the Mishnah a, min a valid minority opinion. By having the Mishnah accommodate these different um, you know, opinions, sometimes necessary, that's part of the strength of the Mishnah, that it had the ability to unify all the hachamim. So here we're going to offer a different interpretation to the Mishnah, specifically to accommodate that minority opinion that says, Palganiska um, Mamona. So here it is. Continuing. Ella. I'm sorry. So, Aide um, is a, an Aramaic um, a contraction of the words Al Al Yadeh. Al with an Ayn, because in Aramaic they didn't pronounce the Ayn. So, Aide is Al Yadeh. By virtue of the necessity to mention in the Mishnah Tashlum Mechepel, cases where you have a double penalty. Tashlum uh, cases where you have a quadruple or Hamisha, five-time penalty. These are cases, these are cases of Mamon She'enu Mishtalem Barosh. That's what we call it. But what does Mamon She'enu Mishtalem Barosh mean? In a moment. I'll explain that, right? Tanana Meh Because of that, it mentioned Hasinezek, Demamon She'enu Mishtalem Barosh, because Hasinezek is another case of Mamon She'enu Mishtalem Barosh. Meaning, according to this reinterpretation of the Mishnah, we didn't need to mention uh, Hasinezek. We could have mentioned Havalot, right? And then we could have gone to um, 
we could have gone to Tashlomei Chetet, Tashlomei Arba Chamisha. But we wanted to segue into it. We wanted to create this connecting bridge between Havalot, which is uh, cases where there, you have direct damages awards, go to Hasin Nezek, I'm sorry, Nezek um, um, Hasin Nezek would be the segue because Hasin Nezek itself, it's a type of Havalot, but it's Mamon Sheno Mishtalem Barosh. You understand the segue? So again, you have Havalot, and rather than just jump to a different category, we have this interesting segue, which it includes in it um, attributes of Havalot, the proceeding, and attributes of uh, the subsequent. So that's the bridge. The bridge is Hasinezek, right? We didn't need to mention it because, again, we're according to the opinion that um, Hasiniska is, uh, is Mamona. It's not Kenasa, right? But it is a Mamon Shenom Shalem Barosh. I still didn't explain what Mamon Shenom Shalem Barosh was. I will in a moment. So again, so because we needed to mention Tashum Chavet Tashum Arba Chamisha, we mentioned Hasinezek, which is Mamon Shenom Shalem Barosh. The idea the Kavaeli Mitna Hasinezek, and by virtue of the fact that we wanted to mention Hasinezek, Tane Name Nezek. So idea. By the way, the word idea is used again when you have a particular linguistic flow. So the linguistic flow is um, um, is a more pleasant one. You know, you start with havalot, which is um, uh, tortious damages. Then you go to, you, you could jump right to Tashulachefa, um, but no, we're gonna, we wanna first have hasinezek because it incorporates, it is havalot, but it's also mamon barosh. And then because we mentioned hasinezek, we mentioned nezek. So you see there's that, that linguistic flow. So other than the conceptual flow, there's also the linguistic flow, and that's what the idea is. So that's a sugya. I still didn't mention what Mamon Shalem Barosh is, but I just wanted to, um, to explain that. So let me, let me now explain. What, what, what does it mean, Mamon? There's Mamon Shalem Barosh, and there's Mamon Shalem Barosh. What does it mean, Barosh? What does the word Barosh mean? So it's not an easy question. I want to look at, give me a moment. Okay. I want to look at a perashat kitisa. It says, kitisa et rosh b'nei Yisrael l'fkudahem. Now, if you look at Ankelos and kitisa, it says, are tekabel chushban, milashon cheshbon, are tekabel yat chushban b'nei Yisrael l'min yanehon. So how does the word Rosh explain? Hushban. What does that mean? So I'm looking now on the Marpella Shon on the Targum Ankelos. Perush, she kabel sechum hafeshman. He's going to get the total sechum. He'll get the total amount, right? So the Rosh, the word Rosh means the total amount, right? Then he continues and he says, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu is not going to count it himself. The reason it says Kitisai is because he's going to receive um, from the heads of the Shevatim the amount of each Shevet, and then he's going to get the total. The Rosh is the total, um, um, when you add things, um, you have, I know there's a mathematical term, when you multiply things, you have the product, and when you add things, you have the, somebody help me here, right? There's a word, okay. 
So the sum total, let's call it the sum total. So Rosh means the sum total. Give me another moment because I have another, there was a very nice, I believe Ibn Ezra. One second. No, it was Ibn Ezra here. I think the Ibn Ezra was in the Pirashat. Um, no, it was in Pirashat the uh, Midbar. One moment, please. Okay. It was a very nice Ibn Ezra, and I think it's important to understanding this. Uh, beyond what we just read in the Targum Ankelos, which already sheds light. Now I'm looking at Pirashat de Midbar. This is where he said it. Here it says, um, Se'u et Rosh kol adat b'nei Yisrael. Right, so Se'u et Rosh, the same word, Rosh. And, and the, um, the Ankelos has Yat Fushban, the sum total. And where did I see Ibn Ezra? Hmm. I apologize that I do want to find this Ibn Ezra. I'm going to give it one more, one more uh, uh, attempt. If I find it, I will read it. If I don't find it, I will just say it by heart. I thought it would be uh, strong for you to hear it directly from Ibn Ezra. So we have Pasukakima. Yeah. Okay. All right. Ah, okay. Very nice. And this is from Marpelashon. And this is what I was looking for. So why is it called Rosh? Why, why do you call the sum total Rosh? Because the way they used to write the, uh, the sum total is, let's say you were counting. So in this case, you're counting 12 Shevatim. So you're going to have the details. Shevet uh, Reuben is this number of people. Shevet Shimon is this number of people. Shevet Levi is this number of people. But then at the top of the page, at the Rosh, you would have the sum total. That's why the sum total is referred to as Rosh, because that's the way it was formulated in the page. It's the opposite of the way we do it. In, in modern mathematics, you know, you have 10 and then plus, you know, plus 11, you know, plus 12, and then you have a line, and then you have the sum total on the bottom. Back then, they would have the Rosh, they would have it on the top of the page, and then they would have the breakdown, right? So now, Mamon she'enumishtalem barosh. You have situations where the damage award is not predicated upon the amount of damage, the sum total of the damage. There is Mamona Mishtalem Barosh, where you say, what was the total amount of damages that this person suffered? There was Shevet, there was Ripui, there was Nezek, right? And then the total is, that's called Mamona Mishtalem Barosh. But then you have, when you have Kenas, for example, and it's 50%, there is no Rosh. We're not looking at the sum total. Um, so, so the distinction in the Mishnah, therefore, is between Nezek, which is Mamon Hamishtalem Barosh, where it's the sum total 
of the damages, meaning a 100% damage award. And then there is which means the amount that has to be paid is not the sum total of damages, but it's something else. It could be in the case of in the case of um, um, double, because there is no calculation here. What was the damages that was done to the person, but rather the payment is something else. And that's why it's called the kenas. So um, that's the, that's the, the sugya. I see that uh, we have eight minutes left, but that's the end of the sugya. So I will uh, welcome any questions that you may have. I'm going to press stop share and uh, let you uh, hear if there are any questions about what we just studied. Okay, so there might be, I just there might see... be some messages earlier on the chat. Um, Please, you can feel free to. Uh... Anyone wants to unmute? Feel free. Let me just scroll back. I ask a question. I think you ad addressed, but I'm not sure um, if I if I got it. Um, which is about the the nafkamina between. Um, it's probably a question for the other sugya. We're just sort of referencing it. But again, the whether it's a kanas or a mamon, um, I understand that they're conceptually different. But could could you remind me perhaps what like so what? Um, right. So um, when, when you seek a direct damage award, um, meaning just you're looking at, okay, the plaintiff was harmed. What was the amount that he was harmed by? Let's bring him and make him whole, right? That's usually the purpose of Nezek. The purpose of Nezek is to bring back the plaintiff to the pre-injury state, right? Yeah. When you look at Kenas, we're rather not necessarily, we're not looking at the uh, plaintiff and how we can make him whole, rather we're looking at how we can punish the defendant for his ill deeds. And um, the legal consequences, it's not just a philosophical distinction, but there's legal consequences to the distinction because Nezek looking to the, um, uh, to the, to the plaintiff, Nezek that looks to the plaintiff, how we can bring him whole um, creates a lien in the defendant's assets, which can be used to pay off the, um, uh, the plaintiff. So that's, that has legal consequences. So for example, the bet team can go and then they can seize his assets and, and they can sell those assets in auction and then sell and, and take the proceeds and, and give, it to the, um, uh, give it to the plaintiff. In the case of Kenas, there's different rules that um, govern Kenas, right? It's, uh, for example, in the case of Hasinezek, a type of kenas, you would only get the Hasinezek from the goof hashor hamazik, from the body of the ox that caused the damage, right? There's other differences. I'll give you an example. Um, there's a famous um, a pas, uh, statement that we say on, on, on Kippur, if a person is modeh, he admits his uh, guilt. The Ozeb, he can, he can, and, 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 and he, he takes responsibility. Meaning, if a person comes and he admits his liability in court, he would not be subject to the penalty, right? So that's another example. So let's say a person robbed, um, let's say they will then rob Shimon, and then uh, afterwards he regrets the robbery, he comes to court, he says, I robbed the hundred dollars, I robbed his ox. Here it is. Yeruham, he leaves the property, he leaves what he uh, robbed. 
Here it is. Yerucham. We don't give him, we don't impose upon him the, uh, the penalty provision. So you see there's different rules. Uh, the set of rules governing penalty payments is different than the set of rules governing direct damages, right? That's important. Um, and, 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 and what's beautiful about the way the sugya reformula or reinterprets the Mishnah is it uses the concept of Mamona Mishtalem Barosh. And Mamona Mishtalem Barosh, it encompasses, or Mamon Sheno Mishtalem Barosh, it encompasses Hasin Nezek, notwithstanding the fact that Hasin Nezek is a type of direct damage, but it's not Mamona Mishtalem Barosh because it's only 50% of the damages, right? So that's a, just a, a, you know, so that the reinterpretation of the Mishnah is a very subtle one, but it's also a very effective one. So um, we have about four minutes. So I'm going to tell you that the next sugya we're about to study is a very interesting sugya. It's actually, and it's also a very long sugya, and it has to do with some fundamental concepts in um, in rabbinic thinking. One of the fundamental concepts that we're going to be looking at is yesh em la mikra. Another fundamental concept we're going to be looking at is em la masoret, right? So there's yesh em la mikra, yesh em la masoret. Um, really very interesting ideas that have a lot to do with um, uh, rabbinic rhetoric, have a lot to do with rabbinic thinking. It's a long sugya. And one of the challenges that we're going to have is how do we organize the sugya in a, in a methodology that is all very clear and uh, coherent, right? That's, that's, you know, whenever you come across these long sugya, that's really important. More so, I mean, we just had a very short sugya. So our short sugya was three questions, three answers, all having to do with uh, redundancies in the Mishnah, really simple to remember. But this, this, is, this as I said, is, is a far different sugya. So I hope you all enjoyed today's class. It was easy. It was simple. Uh, there, was, there was no challenges because, boy, we're in for a very interesting series of uh, classes with respect to the, uh, to the next sugya. Um, we, we can we can start it. I know we have two minutes, so let's just maybe so we don't make the tool Torah. We'll just read the uh, the beginning of the next sugya. Shelosha uh, menalan. Where uh, where in the um, scriptures do we learn the law of shelosha dayanim? Now we mentioned this in the first sugya, right? In the first sugya, daf bet amud bet, we alluded to this particular. This is going to be a mechilta. We're going to be reading a mechilta now. We alluded to this mechilta, but we didn't bring the entire mechilta. So, because it wasn't necessary for the understanding of that first sugya, right? Um, so um, now we're going to look at that specific issue. How do we know, um, or from whence do we learn the requirement of shelosha dayanim, shelosha menalan, the tanura banan? I'm going to explain to you what tanura banan means um, in the next class because it's a legal term of art and it's important to understand it. So that's the first pasuk. It says the word Elohim. And the word Elohim as opposed to Dayan. That implies uh, Dayan who's qualified, who has a certain, you know, brings with him a certain authority, right? Because Elohim, it's a term that also means people with authority, like the politicians, the political leaders, right? So, Elohim. That's the um, opinion of Rabenu, uh, of uh, the This is another very interesting rabbinic uh, concept, whether Dorshim Tahilot or Lodorshim Tahilot. I will explain that next week also. 
Uh, nevertheless, Rabbi Yonatan learns it from the uh, second, uh, from, the, from the two last Elohims, not from the first one. Next week, we will dive into the sugya and we will examine it more closely. Until then, I will wish you all a good night or good afternoon, wherever you may be in the world. Thank you so, so much. Well, one really quick question, not related to um, from someone, uh, whether Golden Doves is available for purchase, someone would like to know, or how could they get hold of it? Because it seems to be very rare. It is. Um, so we just, I'm, I'm happy to report, Baruch Hashem, we just entered into an agreement with a, a major publishing, a Jewish publishing company that's going to be reprinting all of my father's works. So that's good and that's bad. Um, it's bad because it means that I am no longer free to give PDF files of my father's works. That would be in violation of the uh, licensing rights that I granted to the publisher. Um, but it's good because it means that Ezrat Hashem, very soon we would be in a position where we can actually purchase regular hard copies or soft, whatever. I don't know if they're going to be hard book, a cover or soft cover, or whatever they, you know. Um, but we can purchase the actual book, have it in our library, and even use it on Shabbat if we so decide to do. So uh, that's a good part. <laughs> Absolutely. That's wonderful news. Wow. Okay. Um, thank you so, so much. We look forward to next week um, and to, to see you all here. Thank you. Have a great day. Have a great evening. And... Go to. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.